Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry, and as always, this is my co-host. My name is Chris Huddleston. And today we are very excited to be talking very to you. Very excited. Very excited to be talking to you about... I don't have any... Well, we're just going to say the name of the movie. Um, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. The old legend of the Shankara stones. The villager's sacred rock was taken. Village stories, Dr. Jones. Fortune and glory, kid. Fortune and glory. Archaeologists were always funny little men searching for their mummies. Mummies. All right, Chris, do you have a synopsis for us, my friend? I do. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is an obscure art film from 1984. Uh, right. that, no chuckle on that one? <laughs> right. I was uh, waiting to see where you were going with it. Okay, okay. Uh, that, that was the entire joke. Um, uh, directed by Steven Spielberg, it stars uh, Harrison Ford and Kate Capshaw and Ki Hugh Kwan. I'm sure I pronounced that incorrectly, but so and the the uh, synopsis is as such: Intrepid archaeologist Indiana Jones, on the trail of fortune and glory in old Shanghai, is ricocheted into a dangerous adventure in India. With his faithful companion Short Round and nightclub singer Willie Scott, Indy goes in search of the magical mystical sankara stone and uncovers an ancient evil okay all right all right so both of us have seen this i have a feeling that you've seen it more times than i have i've seen this one a lot yeah um it was really good to revisit this and in fact um i have since i watched all of the subsequent ones i haven't gone back and watched um Raiders of the Lost Ark yet, sort of saving that one for last. Mm-hmm. Um, but I watched, I watched them out of sequence. I watched the Crystal Skull, and then I watched uh, Temple of Doom, and then I I just yesterday watched uh, the Last Crusade. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is really, it's really been interesting revisiting these. Because they are certainly kind of, um, you know, landmarks of my cinematic childhood. Yeah, same with me. Um, I did. It was really interesting to watch them as an adult in 2021 because there's some stuff that sort of 
I noticed <laughs> that, you know, went, went right over my head, not only as a child, but as a child in the 80s. That I think would be interesting to talk about. Yeah, today. yeah, for sure. Um, so I don't know if you want me to just kick it off or if you have stuff. Yeah, you go wanna... ahead. Kick, kick it. So, of course, um, of course, it's Harrison Ford reprising his role. Uh, the, this this is a prequel, right? It's actually set earlier than the initial movie, which is in set in 39 or 40. This one is this one is 35. In several articles that I saw, um, it says this was a year before Raiders of the Lost Ark. But I always thought it Raiders was like 1941 or something. But I, I could be totally wrong on that. But but anyway, a lot of the things I read said a year before. But it's regardless, it's it takes it's a prequel. Yes, it's a prequel, and we so we're we're coming back to Indiana Jones. He has a different um, ingenue, right? A different love interest. And there's a kid in this one. And uh, so they start in Shanghai and they end up in India. And there's a lot of writing on the Internet about the handling of race in this movie and sort of tropes, racist tropes, Um and there's a fair amount written about all three movies about his relationship with uh, women and how that's handled in these movies. And, you know, I don't I don't want to ex- explicate it too much because I think the 80s, you know, a lot of that stuff was not it was just sort of accepted um, mm-hmm. in the 80s. And on top of that, which is not to excuse it per se or, or whatever. I'm just noting it, but, but also um, it is about the thirties. So right. it's, it's, it, it, there, there are films made in the eighties um, about the sort of source material, the adventure sort of source material was definitely um, even earlier would be from uh, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg's childhoods of, you know, the mummy's tomb and this sort of, you know, even earlier than than the 30s. Um, and, and of course, gender roles and issues of race and imperialism and stuff would have been very different in the source material. So what was interesting to me watching Temple of Doom was, you know, I, I didn't I didn't think that I, I think that um I'm sorry. What's the actor's name who plays um, the uh, Willie? female lead in this? Kate Capshaw. Yeah, who plays Willie? Kate Capshaw, who later went on to marry Steven Mrs. Spielberg. Mrs. Steven Spielberg, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she does a good job in the movie, uh, but I don't feel like there's any chemistry between her and Harrison Ford on screen. You know, the, the, there's a part of each of the movies that is this sort of playful um, repartee between him and his uh, love interest in each of these films. And the chemistry seems the best between him and uh, Marion in the yeah, first Marianne. one. Well, I yeah. can't remember her name either. I'm t- this is terrible. I'm really embarrassed. 
can't remember anybody's names, but uh, certainly the the chemistry he's got on screen with the character uh, Marion is sets the standard that I don't think either of the other two uh, sequels lives up to. Of course, she's back in uh, Crystal Skull, but in um, in the Last Crusade, it, 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 it's Elsa who is yeah. a Nazi. Uh, we're back to the Nazis, and but, the, but even there, there's more chemistry on screen than there is between him and this um, and Willie, the nightclub singer. And I think I, I I noticed that. I thought, oh, that's that makes like when he whips her. He doesn't whip her. <laughs> he she's storming off, and he cracks his whip and catches her around the waist. And my first thought is. That looks like that would really hurt, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, but it's a sort of a sideshow thing. And he spins her around and draws her in. And then she's like, oh, all right. And she's back. And I thought, well, that doesn't age well. Uh, but I'm sure I remember in the 80s thinking like, you know, what a man, what a confident guy. You mm-hmm. know? And, oh, the, the women in his life really do want this, despite them thinking that they don't. And, you know, just to interject there for a second on, on that particular point is that was that acceptable in the 80s you know if this would have been a movie taking place in the 1980s would we would have been like oh yeah that's a normal thing to do or was it more this is something that would have happened in a movie in the 1930s you know was that a you know what i mean it was a bit of both Yeah. yeah i mean i think it was a bit of both because you look back to the kind of golden age of cinema in Hollywood, uh, in the black and white movies, in the male-female re- relationships, and some of those classics is very um, dated mm-hmm. and very much me, Tarzan, you, Jane. You know, even when you've got, um, you know, Audrey Hepburn or somebody, uh, or Catherine Hepburn or somebody who is a real powerful presence and a, a, an intelligent, uh, strong female character on screen you know, most of the time in those, there's, in order to have a quote-unquote happy ending, the the female character kind of acquiesces, right? And yeah. f- frequently on screen, happily so. Like, oh, you were right all along. This is really better. Um, but I think that there is a vaudevillian, uh, there's bits. You know, these movies have bits in them. Like, there's lots of shots where, you know... It, Indiana Jones has just been decked and then he sort of sits up and there's this response shot, a close up of his face being like, you know, and it just holds there for a second where people like take in in a comical way the new threat or the surprise that's coming. Um, And and I think that a lot of the love scenes are certainly staged that way where it's like he's got some dialogue and she's got a snappy comeback and he's got some more dialogue and she's got a zinger and it kind of goes back and forth and it's like but up up but up bump and they kiss and it's it's shot i thought you know on the page this could be much racier than they've decided to play it they play it like um this is a family movie Right. And the parents will get this, but it's not they aren't they aren't designed. Those scenes aren't designed to really sizzle. Yeah. Um, And I think that that's true for a lot of the action sequences, too, although they're a little more gloves off, so to speak, with that in in this. uh, The other thing that struck me about this movie is it was genuinely scary. Like there was a number of things that I was like. 
Damn, like that is. I, I was a kid and I watched this. That Molaram, the the Temple of Doom is terrifying. It's and very a, effective still now. There's a know? human sacrifice in that where they lower the guy down into the the lava or whatever it is. And I mean, I remember just watching it, being like, "Oh my god, that is crazy stuff!" Like, it's intense. And he's maniacally laughing, and he's holding the guy's beating heart, and it bursts into flame. And then they catch Willie, and they're going to do that to her. And I'm just like, oh, I know it doesn't happen because I've seen the movie many times. But I, there's a sense of dread, genuine and dread in me being evil like, oh, for no. a few. Oh, India's yeah. evil for a few minutes in it, which always freaked me out as a kid, you know. And and they they do it by making him drink some potion that is you know purportedly uh, like a blood cocktail and it's yeah. in a sort of a chalice that's made from a severed human head or I'm like does that cup just look like a human head but I'm pretty sure it's like no I think they've made someone's head into a vessel to deliver this stuff and you're just like gross there's a there's a lot of there's a lot in Temple of Doom that is just gross and it isn't so much splatter gross but there's bugs and there's the heart he plucks the beating heart out of a sacrifice and the guy you know they lower him into the pit and we see him catch flames and he's still screaming and and then the dinner scene which is complicated Mm -hmm. (laughs) but they're eating snakes and bugs and and monkey brains and you know, we're getting a lot of Willie's reaction shots where she's rolling her eyes in disgust, like in a comical way, like, oh, oh, erp, oh boy, you know, eyeball soup. And you're just like, this is really <laughs> gross, yeah. you know? Yeah. You had said that you have read some stuff about, you know, w- w- why the tone of this is so much different from the first one. Yeah. So there is a really great, um, and, and I just, this article was written in 2012 and I just randomly stumbled upon it a couple of months ago and read it. And there were some things that I did not know. Um, it's on grantland.com and anybody who likes this movie or, you know, would be interested in this, I, I highly recommend reading the article. So uh, there's several things going into this, why this movie is so different from the first one. One, they didn't, they didn't want to go back to uh, Nazis again. And um, Lucas was always kind of the, the idea guy with these movies in the article. Spielberg is quoted as saying he was just a director for hire on these, you know, even though they obviously, you know, it was a major collaboration between the two of them, but it was more kind of Lucas's show in a way. And Lucas's original idea was to have it take place in China. And it was going to be a lost world kind of a thing where there were going to be dinosaurs and they couldn't get permission to film in China. So they scrapped that idea. Then they were going to have it be in a haunted castle in Scotland and Spielberg was coming off of Poltergeist and he said he didn't want to do another, um, another ghost thing, you know? So then they, you know, they went back to the drawing board and they came up with this idea, but the dark tone of the movie Spielberg or Lucas was going through a divorce and Spielberg was, uh, he wasn't married, but he was in like a three year relationship and he had just broken up. So they were these two, you know, they said there were these two guys under 40, these giant filmmakers, 
and they were both in a really bad mood because their relationships had ended. And they said the, uh, the heart ripping out thing was a metaphor for their hearts being ripped out Mm. the two of them. Um, and so they just said, you know, they, they both were in this mood to do something really dark and Spielberg has kind of denounced the movie since. Um, and, uh, how so just, he says it's the worst. Now this was prior to, um, I think, uh, crystal skull, but he says that it's the worst of the movies. And I remember him at, you know, not long afterwards, after the movie coming out, him kind of apologizing for it and saying it was too dark and all of this. But Lucas says he likes the movie, but he says he doesn't really like to go back and think about that time because it was a hard time in his life. Um, so I just think that's interesting that they both were, you know, what was happening to them was really reflected in, um, you know, in this film. And they said the, some of the other people that were involved, they were kind of surprised how, um, you know, you have this pretty disturbing stuff where these kids are being whipped and everything. And they said, um, you know, Spielberg really worked to make that realistic and didn't really want to, um, you know, shy away from that too much. Um, but anyway, it's, it's a really great article, but I think of this movie kind of in two halves. I definitely watching it as an adult. And, and like I say, it's, it's not like it'd been years. And I mean, I probably saw this the last time a couple of years ago. So, you know, I've watched it a lot over the years. The most of the comedic stuff doesn't land too well now. Like as a kid, I thought the chilled monkey brains and all that was really great. And now it's just silly. Um, the exception to that is I think that, um, Harrison Ford, I don't think, you know, you think of him as more a dramatic actor, but he's so adept at comedy as well. You know, it's not, you know, like he's a stand up comedian, but his, you know, a lot of these lines that could be kind of corny, I think he, he delivers them in such a sincere way that he just, he just effortlessly to me in this film, you know, switches back and forth between serious dramatic uh, acting and, um, you know, the, the more comedic parts. But, you know, the earth. So you have this opening in China and it's fine. It, it you know, it's entertaining. But compared to the other two, compared to the opening of Raiders or compared to the opening of uh, The Last Crusade, I think this is a lot weaker opening. Yeah. And the, and uh, you know, all the stuff leading up to uh, kind of the middle of the film is all fine. But then once you get to that sacrifice and it turns really serious and really dark, that's just handled so well. Yeah. And, um, you know, you can't watch these movies and not notice also the genius of John Williams. And, you know, this will be my get off my lawn comment of of this episode. (laughs) The one thing that I really miss in movies now is these and, you know, uh, Williams is a, you know, I I think he's the best film composer ever. But we just don't have scores like this now. You know, Mm -hmm. you and I both and I think a lot of kids did this we would buy these soundtracks and listen to them over and over again. They're amazing. They're amazing. And, you know, I found, so I watched this last night and I found, you know, there's some 
some uh, pieces of music in this that are specific to just this film. You know, you have the regular, um, you know, the Indiana theme. Jones theme, yeah. yeah, which I think is called the Raiders March. But uh, but there's some things that are unique to this film. And I found myself just all day when I was working, just humming, you know, you know, the kind of dark music in the um, and so I I hope at some point we'll filmmakers will kind of get back to some scores like this. Cause when's the last time you saw a movie and you're like, Oh, you walk out, you know, humming the, the music to the film. It just, it just doesn't seem to happen much now, but his, his scores are, are they're iconic. Yeah. I mean, you, you think the theme to Rocky, Indiana Jones, well, he Superman, didn't, Star he Wars. actually did not do Rocky. Oh, he didn't. Yeah. No, that's, um, I forget who the composer is, but that's somebody else. But yeah. Um, Jaws and Superman and Jaws. Maybe that's what I was. Did I say Jaws? That's maybe what I was thinking. I think maybe, but yeah, he he didn't do Rocky, but Rocky's another, you know, really iconic scores, you know, it makes Um, a huge, in many ways it is the kind, it's an anchor for the film in the popular imagination because you, you may sit around and remember the scene visually, but I think for me more, more likely a little that music sort of plays in my subconscious. And, yeah. Um, certainly, these adventure films, these the Indiana Jones character and the tone and style of this property um, has influenced the genre of adventure films. A certain you know a certain particular flavor of these adventure films. In the decades since the '80s, I mean, there's Brendan Fraser movies that are this. I mean, there's there are almost too many to count. The, the fedora and the leather jacket, and whether or not it's a whip, it's a pistol, and it's the kind of swashbuckling, uh, tomb raiding, adventurer. Everything since Indiana Jones owes it. even sci-fi. You know, you've got these kind of captains like in firefly that are some hybrid of han solo and indiana jones Mm -hmm. Um, and i think that harrison ford should should receive a lot of credit for that for threading the needle needle between a little dangerous but also totally likable and you know able to play real fear but also to do comedy like he really covers all the bases i never i don't today and i i never really did think harrison ford is all that funny (laughs) no but but he is comfortable doing the comic stuff like he doesn't he never seems uncomfortable you know stepping into that and and his ease and comfort with it makes you go with it it doesn't stop the film you know um and he does it in Blade Runner too. There's a bunch of, and I think it always sort of tonally. I'm kind of like, well, Blade Runner in particular. I'm like, I don't know why we need any comedy in Blade Runner. It's not doesn't feel like it needs leavening with that. Mm-hmm. Remember, he goes in and he's talking about the, he's posing as some sort of inspector, and he's like, oh yeah, he's looking for clues. Oh, yeah, they dig tiny little holes to peep at you before she attacks him, basically. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, uh, so, but, but, uh, I forgot what I was saying. Anyway, um, despite the darkness here, I think, 
there was a part of me that wondered, and I think it was the it was the darkness of this movie. There was a part of me that wondered, you know, in different hands, and Spielberg can do absolutely, uh, you know, gut rending stuff. Obviously, but he's also sort of a master. Like I think he made his he made his early Hollywood. Um, built his early Hollywood in his early career cachet, certainly with Jaws, but with E.T. and kind of family friendly. You know, apparently this movie was the origin of PG-13. Yes. Yeah. Right. So Mm -hmm. and that's really his wheelhouse. Like it's it's big kid stuff. But, you know, if parents are kind of like. Uh, you know, I'm I'm the parent guiding this, and we're okay. You know, my kids are ten, but they can handle it. You know, and Spielberg really, really played in this sort of like. I think it, it maybe not dark enough to be R, but certainly with an edge. You know, and yeah. of course, I'm not Jaws is a horror movie, so yeah. But do you know what? I, do you think that's fair to say yeah. that his early big tentpole stuff was mostly this family-friendly thing? Maybe that was because of the age he was. Maybe it was because he had kids himself. I don't know. He's certainly gone on to do Schindler's List and other things that I don't think are family movies. Those no, are no. serious dramas, and they're incredible. Um, but I had a bigger point, and I keep losing it. I'm not drinking. Maybe I'm just going <laughs> soft in the head. Um, Oh, oh, oh. So, yes. So, the darkness of this movie made me wonder, in different hands, this could have been, you know, this character and this franchise could have had much, much sharper edges. Like, it, there's definitely an alternate universe in which these are R-rated films, and they don't, you know, metaphorically and literally pull punches. Mm-hmm. Um And I thought, you know, those might be kind of, you know, interesting movies to see because these really do, this one in particular, I felt fear. Although I don't think I ever felt that in any of the other films. Maybe the first one because I was so young when I first saw it, right? The tomb and the people, the dead bodies in the tomb and and the Nazis melting at the end. Yeah, Yeah, like left a mark on me. Whereas now I'm kind of like, oh. Cool, you know, cool effect. Um, But but it would be interesting, interesting to take a little trip into that reality and see the R-rated version of this property in which it it has one foot in horror, you know. Yeah, and and the the love interests are. I don't need them to be graphic, but but they genuinely sizzle, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not just the the dame uh, as arm dressing, but you know Marion never felt like that. But she was always getting captured and needed to be rescued, and it's just a supporting role in a way that it's like it'd be interesting to see the male female relationship at the center of these movies be genuinely complicated, and they could be without much tweaking. You know, you could almost just do it directorally, um, mm-hmm. but with a little script work, give the women something. You know genuinely interesting to do and say and uh and go ahead and take the safety off of some of these action sequences because you're dealing with nazis and they're they're for at least two of the four existing movies and 
they're very carefully painted to be bad, bad guys. Like you're afraid of the Nazis because uh, they're Nazis. They they'll stop at nothing, right? And this, but they're this, also kind of bumbling to, you know. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but in this one, it's a it's a death cult. <laughs> you know, and it's just really scary. Yeah, and he gets converted. They make him drink the the Kool-Aid and and he turns into a kind of a thuggy zombie. And that's that is really upsetting to see. It is, yeah. I mean, still now that scene where he's writhing in pain as the 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 blood that he drank is is taking over his body and, you know, possessing him or whatever. To me, that is the strongest pillar of uh, Harrison Ford's ability to anchor this character in these properties is he he can do the levity and he can do the, you know, he can wear both the fedora and the professor's glasses. Um, but when he's afraid of snakes, rather than play it, so that's a comic moment when he's he's comically afraid of of snakes but he doesn't play it as a bit when he screams seeing snakes those are those are real screams right and i think those those moments are funnier because he's not playing funny he's playing he's using his comic sensibility in the craft of of acting those scenes but he is playing genuine terror mm-hmm. and what's funny about it is the degree to which this character that you just see, you just saw surmounting insurmountable odds be absolutely reduced to jelly in a in a, in a real committed way over a garden snake. Yeah. You know, and and I think that scene where he is sort of being turned by the poison is a great example of that because it's all performance, right? It's all performance. We saw him. Yeah, there's no thing. effects with it or anything. Nope, he's yeah. sweating, and they've kind of dumped him in a cell to let it take its. And then it makes me think of the French Connection, where um, Pop, the character, uh, has been addicted to heroin, and he has to just cold turkey. He just has to dry out from that. And there's this long protracted scene where he's going through the DTs, and it's. Gene Hackman is just almost unbearable to watch. And mm-hmm. and this is a much shorter scene, but it really made me think of that. Him writhing in pain and contorting and screaming in pain. And you're like, <laughs> that is upsetting, you yeah. know, because that feels real. And that's, that's I think, right there is where uh, Harrison Ford... You couldn't cast anyone else, right? You could tell in the in the Crystal Skull they were playing with introducing a son, Shia LaBeouf, to be his son, and maybe you know take over the mantle and and reopen the franchise with a second chapter, second generation, right? And so now it seems like in this fifth movie, I don't know enough about it. Shia LaBeouf doesn't isn't listed as a cast member, but it, there is another actor that I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's his son and if they're taking another swing at, at reigniting this property. Yeah. I'm not sure. Unless you're going to really reinvent it, I'm not sure how much more 
legs this property has because I enjoyed watching this, but it, a lot of it was the sort of nostalgic feel. The whole property felt like it it hasn't aged so gracefully in 2021. I mean, I love them, and I don't. They're yeah. not going anywhere, and I'm going to think they're great films for what they are. But the part of that is always going to be that these were great films of the 80s and of my childhood. And like and you I said, just, the the uniqueness of of Harrison Ford, you know, famously, um, Tom Selleck was the first choice to be Harris or to be Harrison Ford to be Indiana Jones, and he couldn't get out of Magnum to do it. And I think he would have done a really good job. I mean, it it definitely would have been different. But I, you know, he he is an, also a guy who was really good at drama, and you know, he would have the same, you know, kind capable. of a similar. Well, Magnum PI, perfect example yeah. of that. I mean, it was a, it was a, ostensibly an action, you know, kind of crime, whatever. But there was a lot of, you know, primetime comic levity. Sure, and the kind that. of wry, you know, humor. But I think you know when you talk about how, um, how much this movie influenced uh, other films, and you know, let's face it, I mean Spielberg and and Lucas essentially created the blockbuster um you know and it kind of paved the way for everything that we have now to a degree but it seems like so many of the the films you know especially the things that are being made now and i'm i'm not you know i love new movies you know there are plenty of new movies that i love and you know maybe as much as some of these movies back then but it seems like the filmmakers did not learn the right lessons from these films. Um, mm-hmm. you, like you were talking about with with Harrison Ford with or with Indiana Jones, you know, being scared of the, the snakes and everything. I think what is so great about this character is he's an everyman to a degree. I mean, he's a you know, not every man is an archaeologist, you know, and traveling all around the world and everything. But there's this vulnerability to him that. Even, you know, in the 80s with the Arnold movies and the and the Stallone, I mean, not so much Rocky, but like Rambo and kind of everything now where everybody is a superhero, essentially, whether they're a superhero or not. um, I think that was what's so great about about Indy is that he's more or less a regular guy, you know, and um in well, that article, in that Grantland article that I was reading, they talked about one of the the uh, interesting things with this movie was that um, Harrison Ford got a personal trainer, and Harrison Ford is in really good shape, but he's this was always kind of like my fitness goal is this like I want to I want to be built like Harrison Ford in Temple of Doom because he's not an Arnold or a right. Stallone physique where it's like, Oh, I could work out the rest of my life and I'm never going to, you know, I'm going to have to take steroids, you know, to look like that. Whereas, you know, it's possible you can eat right and exercise and everything and be in the kind of shape that he's in, in this movie. I mean, he's a really fit guy. He looks great. He looks great, but he's not the, you know, basically every, um, guy in a movie now playing a role like him is just, you know, rippling abs, you know, and all that, you know, 0% body fat and everything. So I, I, I just think that 
And the action in this, the action works really well. And, you know, obviously there are things in this that you would probably, you know, the minecart thing, you would probably die. But it's still, you you don't watch this movie and think like, well, that could never happen. You know, it would be impossible for any of the things. You know what I mean? Right. Does that make sense? It does. And, and what you were saying to him, I mean, I think that part of the success, maybe the core of the success of these movies is that, they they manage they pull off getting to have it both ways right so it is a cartoonish graphic novel you know the 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 mine cart goes racing over a broken you know and it leaps a gorge yeah. under its own momentum and then lands neatly on the tracks on the other side right which could would and could never happen defies physics hmm. right so it gets to defy physics but the audience goes with it, you know, and he gets to be the professor and the pirate. He gets to yeah. be um, the sympathetic nice guy, but also the kind of sexy bad boy who doesn't say the right things and doesn't follow the rules with women. Right. Yeah. He he he's he's funny and he's serious. He in the movie gets away with either the Nazis are deadly dangerous and comic buffoons. Mm -hmm. it, so, and I think, you know, in a way that doesn't age and maybe was never okay, probably was, ne was never okay. Uh, you know, the, the Indians are both these helpless, you know, villagers who worship a rock uh, and, you know, these bloodthirsty, murderous, you know, thuggy, and there's not really any in between. And then the British are these sort of, but again, the source material would have painted it that way. Yeah. Not that that's right. And not no. that you have to make a movie that reinforces those stereotypes. Yeah. Um, oh, this was the other thing. It, um, man, what is going on? I think I've <laughs> holes in my head. I literally had a really interesting point to make. And it flew away. It was about um, the movies having it both ways. Because I read an article about this, and I was like, "Oh man, that is that's a really good point. I got to talk about that on the podcast." And it came up, and now I lost it. It'll come back. Okay. You know, one thing that that I I think is great about, and I was thinking about this watching the with the the sacrifice scene and all that. Um, with the Indiana Jones movies is except for the last one where it's aliens with the other three, they all have supernatural elements in them that are real, you know, like the, uh, oh, that, that was it actually. That was oh, okay. it. Is, is that he is a skeptic. Yeah. But all of the religious stuff is real. So in the first one, the old Testament, you know, the, the Ark of the covenant literally contains the angel of death and God's power. In the in the crusade, it's the New Testament, it's the cup of Christ, right? Mm -hmm. Does heal his father and cause a guy to age. Like God, Old Testament God and New Testament God at any rate are real. And in the thuggy death You've got cult, a different God because you have the, the swirling. Kali is real. Yeah. He, he literally pulls the guy's heart out of his chest. The guy is still alive. The wound seals over. And his heart is beating, and when the guy catches fire, like, I don't know what that ties to, if anything, with with Kali, but um, clearly, and and he drinks a potion that turns him into a mm -hmm. mindless zombie, and 
So, and the stones are magic, right? Yeah. The stones have real power. So there's like, it starts with these like, oh, these so condescending, these these poor brown villagers, they, they worship this stone, thinks it gives them good luck, right? But as soon as you bring the stone back, everything gets better and the crops don't wither. And and we we this the magic power of the stones turns out to be real. And yet movie after movie, he's like, I don't believe in all of this stuff, kid. Mm-hmm. And you're like, you don't? <laughs> you <laughs> you were there point, when yeah. they opened the Ark of the Covenant and like melted all these Nazis. Yeah, but and still the, skeptical about it. Yeah, and the the great thing with the different supernatural elements, they don't overtly explain any of it. You just kind of you know they give you enough backstory on it and you just go with it. You know, it just works. Yeah, yeah, but that's. That's part of the source material, too, is like it works in the comic book because in the comic book, you're never really triggered into thinking too hard about it. It's Mm -hmm. like there are five infinity stones at the creation of the universe. You're like, okay, you know, one's red, one's yellow, one's whatever. It's a comic book, you know? Yeah. Suddenly you make live action people say it and you're kind of like, what? (laughs) (laughs) It's It's really dumb but you know you go back and you say oh the nazis are trying to find the ark of the covenant because any you know the bible says any army that carries it into battle will be invincible and they talk about hitler's obsession with the occult and they're racing to get there and indiana jones is interested in it because it's such an important you know artifact of of history you know but as the thing goes on the nazis belief in its power sort of infuses the film and, and, and raises the stakes in a way that ultimately at the end when there's the climax and the power of the arc is released, you're ready to go with it, right? The supernatural, you know, tone that has been described and hinted at and built up and built up across the movie boils over in a way that doesn't make you go, come on, right? Yeah. You go, whoa, cool, amazing. oh, terrifying, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think that the movie pulls off what these sort of Marvel Marvel movies is this pulp the source is material is pulp content. But they they end up making it feel uh more highbrow than the source material actually is. Yes. Right? It's really comic book content, and yet you find yourself really caring and shedding a tear and cheering at the end of it. Like oh, you're yeah. watching your favorite ball team, you know, win the championships. Like it's real stuff, but it's they. So they they take this. Well, movies, cinemas, takes fantasy and makes you care about it. But but they take this very lowbrow source material and they make it feel like much more elevated. Not I'm, I'm family fair comes to mind, but you you get what I'm saying. Sure, and I think that is you know a lot of you know you were talking about. Um, you know, what would a, a version of an R rated version of this be like? Um, but I think the it's a testament to Spielberg's ability that you have this film where, you know, there are slapstick elements and all that, but he is able to inject real emotion in this too. You know, it's not a drama, but the stuff with the, uh, you know, with the Indian kids all chained up when they let them go, you know, that's, 
you know, that's they go, running, they go running back to their parents. Yeah, they go running back to their parents, and in short round, when he, um, when India is under the spell, you know, and you have that scene where, uh, where Indy smacks him, you know, hits him. Yeah, hard. and you know that's you're like wow. And then when he, you know, he burns him and he says, "Indy, I love you." You know, that's st- that could be super corny. But uh, it's still it works even today, and that I think that's a testament to Spielberg. Well, even in the so I just watched The Last Crusade, and I think one of the reasons I didn't like it as much when I first saw it is that's not what I that's not the kind of role I wanted to see Sean Connery doing. I wanted to see yeah. Sean Connery in The Rock or in mm-hmm. Highlander when he's a badass. It's it's a pretty good performance. You know, he plays this kind of academic, you know, distant father. And th- those two men do have great chemistry. Yes. The, you know, they really, the father-son stuff is is some of the best stuff in that movie. And there's a scene where a tank goes over a cliff and they think they've lost Indiana Jones. They think he's been killed in the fall. And uh, Sean Connery, playing his father, chokes up, mm-hmm. you know? And then he comes climbing up, and they have a they they bring it back around with comedy. Climbs back another side, sort of comes over, and looks over the shoulders. What are you looking at? You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he turns, and there's this. Uh, he grabs him, embraces him, and he says, "I thought I'd lost you." You know, and he's tearing up, and it's it's just one little moment of it in the movie where we get to see how much this distant father really cares about his son. Yeah, and. He is. Uh, he says, "Well done. Come on, let's get going." And you just feel like what you want in that moment is this outpouring of all of the things that you know the son wishes the father would have said to him. But that's not how people are, right? Right. So we just get right back to the movie. But but Spielberg is very careful to have those moments in there where we get to see that it's true and that the performances feel real. And and those little spoonfuls of not spoonfuls of sugar, but spoonfuls of real human connection that are very beautifully drawn. And again, I mean, I wish that the romance had that, too. In most of the films, the the romance just doesn't like they're Mm -hmm. painting by numbers, but you don't even feel except with Marion. You, you get that he genuinely cares. And she's responsible for a lot of that. And in the Crystal Skull they're bickering at one point after being reunited and he's climbing up to the front of the truck and he says, she says, well, surely there must have been other women. And he's like, yeah, but they all had the same problem. And she says, well, what was that? And he says, they weren't you, honey. Mm, And then she gives that megawatt smile that Mm -hmm. I think is, you know, so unforgettable in that character. And they end up getting married in that movie. But It's just something about the two of them chime really well, I, you know, and I, I, I miss that in the other two movies. I, and I think that Willie is, is a fun character and she does a great job, but you never really be, you never really believe that these two feel for each other. And the right. Nazi is gorgeous, but mm-hmm. and, and it's a more subtle performance and a more insidious you know, backstab she's a double kind of a double agent thing she's well she's a nazi that genuinely cares about both indiana jones both uh, uh jones's what's his mm. name what's his real name indiana jones's name 
Yeah, it's Henry. Henry, yeah. That cares cares about both Henry Joneses, but uh, but it's still we just don't see enough of her. You know, she's never right. really sidekicking along with him. We find out she's a Nazi not too long after having met her, and then she sort of is on the other team. So, yeah, with Willie, um, it uh, and I'm losing my point where I was going. Um, Oh, it's it plays on that trope that that I I imagine probably goes back to the 30s and 40s movies that they were basing Indiana Jones on. And it, it, it always was a funny, uh, funny idea to me. The, you know, the man and woman that they hate each other the entire movie and then they right. fall in love. And right. I remember that always seemed so strange to me as a kid. It's like, so are you supposed to hate each other? And then you, you know, and then, then you like each other after, you know, cause I, I looked at my parents and I'm like, my parents like each other. You know, they, they aren't just like fighting all the time, you know? And, uh, well, I so. mentioned Hepburn earlier. I mean, in some of those older comedies, that trope of that love hate relationship can really sizzle on screen. Right. Right. It can really be electrifying where the, the anger and the frustration with your partner is absolutely real, and and, the, and and so is the passion. And the line between the two can be so fine that the two parties involved aren't even sure when it's going to, you know, when they're going to slip to the other side of it. Yeah. Right? And it can be electrifying on screen. And I just feel like in this movie, they were going, they, that's, they, they were painting by those numbers, but it didn't fly. Right. You know, she just, she's great comic timing. I, I like her in the opening sequence. I don't love the kick in the antidote and the diamond around. That feels more choreographical than anything great, else. Though. Yeah, Which, when she comes out, she's singing "Anything Goes" you know, in Mandarin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, she does. This is great. Yeah, her perform. She and I also in that same article that I that I keep referencing, she said, um, like she got bashed a lot, and that like it was a bad performance and it's not a bad performance. I don't she think does so a at all. good job. Yeah. A really There's good even job. a moment where, you know, so she's, she is an actor, uh, playing, uh, you know, a performer on stage in a set piece within it. Right. And so she's, the lead singing anything goes in Mandarin and there's there's great little bits in that too like she there's a point where she sort of loses her balance right the mm-hmm. and that's part of it it's not it's the actress on stage doing a little bit where she's like her heel tips or something and she you know and then she steadies herself and we see her recover and this is we're introducing the audience to this nightclub singer right who is who recovers well yeah. right who 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 goes with the flow and can do the whole thing can do it in a foreign language on one ski right and and because we then see her do just that playing wingman and romantic interest to Indiana Jones through this crazy roller coaster in, in a couple of scenes literally right of a movie and I just thought it was a great introduction to that character. Yeah, it, for you're sure. Just, it, there, it's a, and it's a great credit sequence because credit sequences are usually kind of mind-numbing and you're mm-hmm. just kind of like, okay, get to the movie. But th- we this is the movie, right? Yeah. Right from the get-go. And we're meeting one of the principal characters. And they, with that production, they said over and over that Spielberg and Lucas both wanted a quote unquote ditzy 
female lead. And that was apparently, again, they, because of what they both had gone through, they mm-hmm. didn't have a necessarily a great perception of women um, at the time, you know, so that kind of plays into maybe some of this. I think you know, to the, her credit, I mean, she comes off the character of Willie is vain and, you know, focused on superficial things. And that's a running bit. You know, I broke a nail and all of this stuff. But she keeps pace with him, right? Mm-hmm. And and that scene where she has to go in and pull the lever and those bugs were, ugh, those yeah. bugs were really, she, and she does it. So she says, she screams a lot and she says, ooh, and I don't want to, right? But she has the grit to stick with him. Yeah. Throughout. I mean, a, a, a truly, a truly quote unquote ditzy character could have been so upset by that that they just got squished. And she mm-hmm. didn't, you know what I mean? It'd be I, a totally different movie. <laughs> it would have been a totally different movie, but but it, that would have been a totally different character. Right. So so the the frosting, so to speak, or the 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 cover of the book is easily dismissible as a kind of a ditzy uh, nightclub singer. But the 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 character has true grit, I think. Sure, and sure. It shows that throughout the arc of the movie. And I, I don't think if if she didn't, I don't think you'd like her. And you do end no. up liking her. Yeah. Like the the elephant keeps like bumping her on the head and then it's a snake. She said, I said, cut it out. And she throws a snake mm-hmm. and he's he screams. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of my favorite little bits. She's like, the elephant's driving me crazy. She yeah, doesn't even a, ever realize it was a snake. So, um, you know, we've referenced the other movies some. How do you, I know you said you haven't gone back and watched Raiders, but how do you, how do you rank the four films? Um, I will go back and watch Raiders, but I anticipate that I will like it the most. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think there's something so fresh about the concept when that first movie comes in and you know temple of doom it's i think you're following up a smash hit like the first one there's always a kind of a pressure to like what are you going to do next i would probably say raiders my favorite um last crusade is my second favorite and then then temple of doom and then crystal skull cuz i rewatched that and i really disliked it when i first saw it uh, and I just rewatched it. And I'm like, you know, that's a lot better than I remembered it being. You know, it's not. By the time you've done the four thing, you start to feel the formula of it. And I feel like Crystal Skull suffers in that regard a little bit. And I think, I mean, I, he definitely was. But Spielberg was a much different filmmaker Right. By the time they made that than he was, say, when they made Last Crusade. Right. Um, And they make a bunch of jokes about I'm too old for this and I, you know, everything hurts now. But Crystal Skull does feel stiff. You know, mm -hmm. it just feels like it's everyone's older. You know what I mean? And they bring in Shia LaBeouf and however you feel about the actor, he's, he's pretty great on screen Mm -hmm. like I think he does 
electrifying performances. Um, he injects a little, you know, new energy into it. But for the most part, everybody is, you know, decades older. And the whole thing just feels kind of, oh, it's the Russians now, but they look a lot like the Nazis. And it's just, like, haven't we done this three times? Yeah, I guess we have. And one more for the road. It's, it just kind of feels, uh, the whole thing feels kind of tired. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So for me, I basically like them in order. I, the... The first one is basically a perfect film. Um, it's and watching, and I don't know exactly how to put my finger on it, but um, Temple of Doom is not as well made as the first one. You know, especially if you watch them just kind of back to back. Temple of Doom just seems cheaper in a way. I don't, you know. Um, not that it's a low budget movie or anything like that, but I always growing up, the first two were kind of one A and one B for me, even Mm -hmm. though I, I've always felt that Raiders is, is a better film. I love Temple of Doom also. Um, the last crusade, a lot of people, the last crusade is their favorite and I, I've never disliked it, but I, I was kind of disappointed at the time mm. in it. The mm-hmm. uh, and maybe they created this. I don't know, but uh, the Indiana Jones movies follow the pattern that a lot of other action type movies have done. Lethal Weapon movies stand out in this regard, where the first one is a serious movie with some jokes. The second one, Temple of Doom, there's a lot more comedy in it than in the first one. And then by the by the time you're in the third one. To me, it, it's just a straight-up comedy with some serious elements to it, and definitely with the fourth one is the same thing. It's, you know, it's it's pretty jokey, but I've um, I've grown to like Last Crusade a lot more over time. I mean, it's a really really good movie. I just I never liked it as much as the first two, mm-hmm. um, and like I said, that uh, you know the opening with River Phoenix is uh, fantastic. You know, and- he, River Phoenix does a great job of identi- of showing us that he is the young Harrison Ford. Like he's clearly studied the performance, and he's you know he's doing Harrison Ford. Yeah, and I without doing if- an impersonation, he's like you no know, the mannerisms he's adopted it, and it's fun to see the whip, the scar. The first time he cracks a whip, it's fun to see him. You know, the, the, this this basically uh, grave robber, this kind of, you know, tomb raider that he has that first encounter with in the cross of Cortez or whatever is basically Indiana Jones. Yeah. And he, he grows up to, to become this first nemesis, you know? Sure. And, you know, if if that movie were made now and if jo- or Joaquin Phoenix, if River Phoenix had lived... They probably that probably would have been the setup to do yeah. more Indiana Jones movies with him, and I yeah. would have been, you know, I would have been fine with that at the time. Now I don't, I, you know, it's it's too big a property, and you know, Disney likes money too much to not reboot Indiana Jones at some point. I mean, it'll happen someday, I would imagine. But then you get to the Crystal Skull, and like you said, I didn't, I didn't hate Crystal Skull when it came out. I, it's clearly a big step down from the other three and and you know some of it like i said before i I think spielberg just wasn't into it yeah 
you know, and I, and I think that shows on screen and you've got the, you know, the, some bad CGI and, and all of that. But yeah, um, but I think like the, you know, the nuke the fridge thing that made people so mad. I, yeah. I, that's one of the, my favorite parts of the movie. I, I think the. It, it didn't bug me in retrospect watching it recently the way it did. And it, the first one was like, oh, come on. Right. Mm-hmm. And in this one, I'm kind of like, you know. Is it crazier than the minecart going over the thing? You know, it's like yeah. if you stop and think about it too hard, it's yeah. You know, it got it literally was a, thrown by a nuclear or an atomic weapon going off, and I just don't think a human being would survive the forget the radiation, the impact. Yeah, like, there's no padding in there. Yeah, especially kind of seventy years old. <laughs> yeah, like in a comedy movie, he kind of kicks the thing open and stumbles around, being like, you know, you're like, no, I think it would have killed you. Sure, sure. I don't think a human being would survive that. But I think that whole scene where he's running around and the, you know, when he goes in the house and there are the mannequins in there and everything, I think that's a really great yes. scene. Yes, and, um, and it, it's it's great captures that kind of fifties or was it even sixties at that point? That Cold War um Twilight Zone, Stepford kind of, Wives, like mm-hmm. what is this, you know, two dimensional perfect leave it to beaver life we imagine is you know he's literally in it and everything's plastic and yeah and he's walking around being like what in the hell and i just thought that was a great reference of the zeitgeist of the time in which the movie is set um Mm -hmm. and there's there are a number of touches that that i think are effective in that way it's in no i mean people have have uh labeled it as a terrible movie and it's not terrible no Um, it just by comparison, you know, you have three other really fantastic movies, you right. know. And at a certain point when you make four or now soon to be five movies in a franchise, they're not all gonna be the best movie. Right. <laughs> they, they can't be. And not to get us off on a side tangent, but did you watch the have you seen the trailer for the new Matrix yet? I just watched it today. Interesting. And that because I, th- I, I thought, are they just rebooting it? But then right at the end, they have the character being like, interesting, going back to the Matrix. Yeah. I like, I, so it's not a reboot. I'm not sure what it's going to be, but it, uh, you know, you were talking about with with Indy 4 where it's like, okay, everybody's a lot older. And you see that with, you know, obviously, I mean, we've been watching um, Keanu, you know, all this time. Uh, and... But, you know, you've got Carrie Ann Moss coming back, who's obviously, you know, 20 years older or more than 20. Yeah. So it's that's going to be interesting. But that's something with Indy 5. I hope they keep the uh, I'm so old and I'm getting too old for this. I I hope, you know, because everybody knows that he's old. I don't I, I hope they keep that stuff to a minimum. Yeah, and I hope as they reboot this property, which they're clearly doing, unless this is a flop, and it's hard for me to imagine. James Mangold's a good director. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard for me to imagine that this will be a flop. Um, yeah. I, I hope that they find ways, and I, I say this just with a, I'm not a cheerleader for Disney, but I, I feel like Disney has been of late – pretty effective at, at at putting a new breathing some new life into some of these older properties like mm-hmm. figuring out a way 
to make it feel more relevant to younger modern audiences. And I hope that they are able to take the Indiana Jones property and effectively kind of pass the torch to, an, you know, let it ha- become a new thing. Yeah. Know? Yeah, sure. Because otherwise it's just a Harrison Ford property. And as he gets older and slower and more tired, I mean, there's nothing to say that an actor can't in his 70s and 80s hand in really good performances, but it's harder and harder to believe uh, that they're swinging like on a whip, like it's a Tarzan on a vine. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and, and Indiana Jones is, is never going to be a think piece. No, <laughs> it's, no. It's an action movie. Exactly. So. And unless they would do almost kind of, and I haven't seen any of the any of the Creed movies, you know, with, with Rocky in them. Right. Unless they'd almost do something like that, where they would, there would be a new character and, and Indiana Jones would kind of be just a cameo in his own thing. It takes too long for them to make these films for, for there to be any way other than this to be his last movie. Right. You know, and and I don't think they do it. Will do it, but I, um, it wouldn't bother me at all if if they would let him die at the end. I I can't imagine that they're going to do that. But um, but you know, it would be um, somewhat like Logan. You know, it would be bold. Yeah, it would be bold to go ahead and commit to that. I mean, when when DC does it and Superman dies, you're like, Superman's not dead. That because that would just be stupid business <laughs> right so you know they're going to figure out some way to bring superman back but you know that this is not a, a superhero movie so i i think if indiana jones were to die and have a funeral then that would be you'd be like oh well oh, committing to committing to that yeah and, and you, you know, can't really go back and do prequels because <laughs> I mean, because you're not gonna have harrison ford you can't but, cast anyone else as Indiana Jones. You really can't. I just don't see them being like, you know, after in 10 years being like, okay, meanwhile in 1949 and we've got a different guy that looks vaguely Harrison Ford-like playing Indiana. It's just hard for me to imagine that working. I mean, people, a lot of people didn't like it, but they did a young Han Solo, you know. And I actually did like that. I did like it as well, and, yeah. And I like that, but I don't see them making another one. Are they making another one? I mean, it, it, yeah, it, it bombed, but, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I can't really imagine who w- would do it, but I don't, I don't think it's impossible to do. You know, if you just got the right person, I, I don't yeah. think it's impossible to do more Indiana Jones movies with the character of Indiana Jones. Yeah. Sticking with, just to go back to that for a second, I think Disney had the right impulse to give it to Chris Miller and Phil Lord. Mm-hmm. And then the Kazdan was involved and didn't like what they were doing with it and gave it to Ron Howard like they took it back from them. And what you got was something that felt a little bit like it had a leg in both boats, like the old guard wanting to make a thing with new actors. And Donald Glover, who was good in the movie, but you you cast – Chris and Phil cast these 
these characters that their greatest strength is you got to let them off the chain, right? Yeah. They cast a bunch of firecracker actors, and you just got to let them go nuts and explode on screen and do what they do, not rein them in. Or don't cast those characters. Don't cast those actors, right? Yeah. So I felt like they had the right – Disney had the right impulse. And then they cast in, was like, no, 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 no. That's not how it is. And you're like, get out of the way, old man. Like, you you did it. You started it. Now step aside. Mm Mm-hmm. Because Chris and Phil are great. Oh, yeah. And the movies they make are great. And I really, 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 really would have loved to have seen their version of the movie. I mean, Ron Howard is sure. not, no hack. No. <laughs> but. And, you know, that's my hope with Indy 5 is that they allow James Mangold to do, you know, for it to be right. a as much of someone's vision is what Disney is going to allow to happen. Right. You know, that's something, you know, with Temple of Doom, there are people that they think it's the worst Indiana Jones movie. And there are people who think it's the best Indiana Jones movie. But what, one of the things that I really like about it is similarly to um, Empire Strikes Back. It's a sequel that they're not afraid to, you know, it's it's similar but different. They um, and that's with Temple of Doom. That's some of the maybe why you know some people don't like it. They think it's they went too dark and they went went too scary. And there's no Nazis, but I think that's one of the things that's really great about it is they they did some different things. And I hope with Indiana Jones Five, it's not going to be just well we got to make this nod to this. You know, we're going to make do this inside joke that. Oh, remember that from Raiders and remember this. From, you know what I mean? I, I hope yep. they kind of, I hope it's not just all fan service. Yeah. Greatest hits. Cause that's boring. Yeah. You know, I agree. So I don't know. We'll see. I, I mean, I'm caught with that and the, the matrix, both those movies. I'm, I'm kind of cautiously optimistic for them, you know, especially with, with Indy, I think, you know, you've got some really good people involved. Sure. So. You know, and it's been so long since I've been to the movies that I'm anxious to just get some movies going again. I'm anxious to see Dune and I'm, you oh, know yeah. what I mean, I'm like, I, I don't know yet how I feel about rushing into a big theater full of people, uh, still, but I am now deep down, like excited to see some big new movies. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for it. Um, we are way over time. So okay. what do you this want? This one to... I imagined we would talk a good bit. So yeah, yeah. What do you want to do for next time? Do you want to we do had, Congo? We talked. What was that? Sorry. Do you want to do Congo or? Yeah, we, we, uh, that I was going through Netflix and Congo is on there. Uh, it's, it's only on there through the end of September. So I thought, eh, that was a movie that I saw once in the theater for whatever reason, I was really hyped for it and thought it was going to be great. I hated it. It yeah. was, at, I remember almost nothing about it. So it will be, I think it'll be really fun to revisit it. I hope that you're right. I think you remember nothing about it because what I remember about it is it's terrible. I mean, I just remember, I remember that I hated it and that was one of those, <laughs> you know, 
just yeah. really bad movie going experience. And it's got a lot of great people in it. It's got Laura Linney in it. It's got Tim Curry in it. It's got... Uh, Tim Curry doing a bad accent for some reason. Terrible accent. Yeah, and uh, it's got... And a talking um, monkey. Evil Dead. Uh, Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell. I mean, it's got it's got a bunch of interesting people in it, and it's a Michael Crichton story. Mm-hmm. And they clearly had a bunch of money on it, but I just remember thinking, oh, this is... This is I mean, it's terrible. So I, I hope it's not one of these movies that we're sitting through being like, why did I agree to watch yeah. this again? Like I say, I, I remembered almost nothing, and I literally have not. I don't know when it came out, 1995 or 96 or something like that. Something so, like that. So I have not. I, ne- I hated it so much. I never even was like, oh, I'm going to watch this on HBO. Maybe it's not as bad as I. I never have revisited it, and I had barely thought about that movie until it, it, I saw that it's on Netflix. So Yeah, well, we should um, watch it because, you know, we have to do some stinkers now and then. Maybe it's not as bad as I remember, but I have a hunch it is. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. But so, and we, we both recommend Temple of Doom, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. If you absolutely. haven't seen Temple of Doom, and I mean, there, I know people that have not seen any of the Indiana Jones movies. So, you know, yeah. if you've never seen, and the thing is, you can these play as standalone films. You can just, you don't have to know right. anything about any of the other movies. Right. Um, you can just watch this as, as a, you know, on its own. If, if you've never seen it and, and, and you're interested. So. You said it, you said it is that Spielberg and Lucas and, you know, there's another, they had a kind of a, um, a group of filmmakers that were all hitting their prime at the same time. But, these guys uh, who is it who robert zemeckis who did the the uh yeah. back to the future movies yeah it invented the blockbuster as we know it today yeah so while we talk about this or that or gender things or issues of race and things that don't age well and we sort of picking it apart uh you know it's it's they're entertaining films and they're just always going to be entertaining films whether you get hung up on this or that aspect of it and i think and they're I mean, they're these movies have. I mean, obviously, these and the Star Wars movies and the Back to the Future movies. You know, I don't know how many times I've seen them, just over and over and over again. And I don't know if that, you know, how much nostalgia plays into that. I I don't know if you know a movie that I see in twenty twenty one. Am I gonna be watching it for the next twenty years? I don't know. Um, but but all of these, you know, especially the Indiana Jones movies are have just great rewatchability. And they've influenced everything else. So you say, well, I never saw those movies, but I bet you have other movies you really like that are derivative in many ways sure. of this franchise and other, you know, Star Wars. So if you've never seen Star Wars and you're like, okay, well, at this point, I don't know that you have to go back and watch Star Wars, but it wouldn't be a waste of your time because no. you'd be like, oh, man. You're like, yeah, yeah. Th- th- there was nothing like this before this. And now there's a ton of stuff. Mm-hmm. That is very like this everywhere oh, because yeah. of this movie, right? So do I think it's the best movie ever made? No. I mean, it's corny and there's a lot of things in it. And I'm like, oh, boy, that's <laughs> – when I was six or whatever, I, that didn't strike me as – that was awesome. And now I'm like, that is really hammy. I mean, Stranger Things is just a love letter to Spielberg, basically. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so – Chris and Chris talk movies at gmail.com. Uh, send us 
your feedback, your suggestions. Like us on the social media, subscribe, all that jazz. Thank you so much for listening. We're gonna yeah, do- if you have suggestions, because sometimes it's hard to come up with you know what we want to watch. So if anybody has anybody listening, if there are things that you would just love to hear us talk about, we are definitely open to suggestions. Yeah. And I don't think we've done any of the suggestions that we've gotten. <laughs> but don't let that deter you from no, suggesting no. other movies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wonder why nobody suggests anything anymore. <laughs> anyway, on that note, uh, <laughs> we'll do Congo for next week. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you're really committed, you should watch it with us. But I think it's dangerous. If you've never seen Congo, I don't... <laughs> I don't know. Um, uh, But on on that merry note, we will talk to you next week.